good afternoon and welcome to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. I'm program host Kip Allen. Let's Talk is the program for the Christian layman, the Lutheran who believes but has questions. In short, the program is designed for, well, someone like me. There's a lot I don't understand. It doesn't have to be something soul-shaking. It might just be on my mind for a while. And I find that rather than getting into a deep theological discussion, sometimes a casual front porch style talk with the pastor is the best way to understanding. That's what this program's all about. Today's guest is Lance O'Donnell of St. Paul Lutheran Church in Accomanawak, Wisconsin. I have my questions, and I'm sure you have yours. You can send your questions by email at any time to letstalk at kfuo.org or call in during the program if you're in the St. Louis area, including Metro East, at area code 314-821-0850 or anywhere in the lower 48 states, toll-free at 1-800-730-2727. Well, Lance, welcome back to the uh, Front Porch. Delighted to be with you. Oh, I am too. I tell you, it's been an interesting week. They all are. <laughs> it's just a matter of degree. Yes, it, yes, it has. Indeed. You know, uh, I had uh, mentioned uh, in an email exchange with you that, uh, and I think I've even mentioned it on the air a couple of times. Uh, I have um, some correspondence with uh, some gay activists who claim to be Christian. And indeed, uh, a number of uh, Christian denominations, the uh, Episcopalians, for example, I think one of the uh, big Presbyterian denominations and some others, seem not to have a problem with homosexuality. Um, My question on that is, are these churches abandoning the gospel? It seems to me that they are denying the gospel. Uh, How can they be... How can they be Christian and deny the gospel? Well, we're certainly denying, I think, the authority of the Scripture, and you can lose the gospel there. I, I don't, I don't know how you, I don't know how you openly support the same-sex attraction as as God-pleasing, and I don't know how you square that with the Scriptures. And I, you, you have the kind of gymnastics that you have to do with the biblical text is, uh, I think, is rather, is, is rather remarkable. Well, I don't know if that helps answer your question. Well, yeah. <laughs> it flummoxes me. But it sounds to me like you you uh, have the same question I do about that. I just uh, I just can't wrap my mind around that. You know, you either accept the gospel or you do not, and you can't pick and choose. You know, this isn't a cafeteria. You know, you either believe or you don't believe. And to pretend that what is clearly outlined in gospel, in Bible, in Scripture as as being wrong is not wrong. It's just. I don't have the word for it. Well, you know, you and I aren't far apart. I, I don't know. You know, that that said, this is not a this is not a new issue. It's an ancient issue. I mean, the same sex attraction has been with us as long as there's been sin in the world. I mean, there's reasonable. Uh, 
it's a reason it's reasonable assumption to make that in the you know in the Genesis account where uh, Noah's son Ham uh, was you know Noah gets drunk Noah gets drunk and and Ham uncovers his father's nakedness that that there was something more than just looking looking wrongly going on there. Um, so it goes back about almost as far back as this stuff goes. Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, Romans chapter one, First Corinthians. It's not new. Well, St. Paul, I think, was was uh, very uh, very much to the point on. I think in the book of Romans. Well, and, Romans one, yeah, Romans one has the has the passage you know, about you know about homosexual practice and mm-hmm. the, and the what what we would call, I guess, that that lifestyle being. Uh, the consequence of it being a sort of punishment that people bring upon themselves for acting outside of, well, I think, outside of God's will. I, I, I think we have to differentiate between the homosexual and the practice of homosexuality. We are all tempted, and I think even farther than tempted, I think many of us are, are inclined to do things that are against the Bible. The thing is, is that we know that it's wrong, and... Uh, Part of the concept of God's love and forgiveness is repentance, and when you openly in, embrace a practice that you that that you know is wrong, or at least the Bible says is wrong, then the concept of repentance is thrown is thrown out the window. Yeah. Well, we you know we do yeah the subject our culture is tending to call good what God plainly calls evil, but you're all. And indeed, you're also you're also right that there's forgiveness for this too, and everybody's tempted some way. I think it's one of the it's one of the glories of Christianity. You think about you think about this that the Hebrew you know the Hebrews passage Hebrews four where we're taught that that Jesus the, the Son of God was tempted in every way, just like we are, but without sin, which means. There was same sex temptation too. People might some people might not want to hear that, but right, he was tempted in every way, just like all of us are. Uh, yet without sin, now, we're, we're always tempted. Um, the thing is, do you give in to temptation? Now, I confess, I have. Of course, I'm a sinner. I, I make no bones yeah. about it. Uh, and I, as we say in the confession, I justly deserve temporal and eternal punishment. But, you know, I, I know when I'm doing something wrong. I may not have the strength to stop doing it. I pray for that strength, but I recognize that it's wrong, and I, I pray and hope that I will, will be, I don't want to say the word cured, but, I will, but that I will know what to do. I will know how to resist it. You know, there's a, there's a lot of things that I, I'd much rather do. Uh, I'm, I'm uh, really fond of beer, <laughs> as my wife has pointed out on occasion. <laughs> and yeah. uh, there are times I overindulge. And uh, this is wrong. I know it. But I still do it sometimes. Yeah. Well, and then you write and you go to the Lord and- If we confess our sins, right, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
but you know, that I, I have, you know, this is a tough one. But I don't, ha- I don't have this issue that we raise. Um, <laughs> I have my my temptations are are different. I, this is a, I I regard as a, a particularly challenging one um, because you know we're, you know, we are sexual beings by nature, right? And we, and to have that, to have have the temptation kind of turn in on yourself or, or the same sex, of, you know, which is in my respect a, a temptation that or a, an act that can never can never be fulfilled. Uh, that would be that would be hard, right? And what we what we ask, like you know, it's really, at least those churches that are attempting to. Hold, hold up the scriptures. We're asking people that who struggle with that to, to remain celibate. And you know, I, I know people that are trying to do this, and that you know it's not easy beyond what I can imagine. Oh, I think it's it's it may even be impossible. Uh... I, I don't deny the existence of, of same-sex attraction. I, it's obviously there. I know too many people who have that. Uh, the, the the secret to it is, or not the secret, the, the key is to avoid doing what your what your inner nation, inner um, what your inner self wants to do. Um, you know, and, and to me, to, you know, whether it's uh, heterosexual sex or homosexual sex. Uh, there is a problem there. We all have these urges, but there is a way that uh, they should be done or shouldn't be done. Um, you know, uh, again, I think the the gospel is very, very clear on these issues, and we can't pick and choose. I agree. Well, you know, related to that, uh, in fact, this the, you sent me an article by a Presbyterian uh, philosopher uh, on the degree of sin. And that one really got my attention. Uh, you know, I, w- I had always been raised with the idea, as any Lutheran has, that any sin is sufficient for condemnation. Right. And there is the temptation, and I, I, one, frankly, I, I have had to say that, uh, you know, there's there's really no degree of sin. You know, I remember once discussing it with a Catholic friend of mine, and uh, she had said... Uh, well, then you think that a uh, that uh, uh, a murder is no worse than a lie, and I replied, "No, I think that a, uh, a lie is as bad as a murder." But this article that you had pointed out to me uh, has a little bit of a different spin on it, although it certainly you know, reinforces the idea that any single sin is sufficient for damnation. But there is a degree, and that's something I really hadn't thought about in in any depth. Uh, yeah, I, I phrase it. I, you know, the, what I sent you was was an article. Robert Robert Gagnon is the man's name. And for your listeners that are interested uh, pursuing it, he has a website. It's Rob R O B G A G N O N dot net. A uh, Presbyterian theologian who is, to my knowledge, is probably the authority on the Bible and. and homosexual practice in the in the English language at least. And I saw him years ago at uh, a conference in St. Louis at the St. Louis Seminary. Um, and so he is, is a 
the authoritative theological book that he wrote on this is called The Bible of Homosexual Practice, but there's lots of other writing, and you can find a goodly bit of it on his website. But the the article that I, for your listeners, the article I sent you was, uh, is, is entitled, Is Homosexual Practice No Worse Than Any Other Sin? And what Dr. Gagnon argues in, in the article is that uh, all sin is all sin condemned, uh, but there are some sins that I'll, I'll phrase it this way are more dangerous than others. Okay, let's unpack that a little bit. Uh, how, could it be because uh, some of the sins are more attractive than others? Well, um, some sins are right. Again, he's right. You're, you're opening up the scriptures. Some of these, some of these sins, as, you know, as we submit to the scriptures, um, reveal uh, or are, get a response from God, Old Testament and New, that is more severe, as it were, than others, which, at the very least, suggests that they're more spiritually dangerous than others. And he puts, you know, in, in the article, he puts it, as he introduced the article, he puts it this way. He said, he says that the Christ's universal coverage of sin through his death, through his death on the cross, does not mean that all sins are equal in all respects. That, you know, stealing a piece of bubble gum is not as spiritually dangerous necessarily as um, a, a homosexual act, right? So Christ's universal coverage of sin through his death on the cross doesn't mean that all sins are equal in all respects, but there, they are, are, all sins are equal in one respect. They are all covered, and covered, right, by the blood, by the, and the quote ends there, they are covered by the blood of Jesus Christ. So all sins are equal in that Christ forgives all, but not all, he, he makes the argument in the article that not all sin, some sins are more spiritually dangerous than others. But again, he, part... has, a particular, he has a particular argument for, for uh, homosexual sex. But again, the, uh, the key to forgiveness is repentance. Do I have that correct? Well, you know, it's oh boy. I'm trying to I'm trying to collect my thoughts here. These sometimes these front porch discussions get a little bit heavier than others. I think this is one of those cases. (laughs) Well, you know, I would commend the reader, uh, commend your listeners to to the article. You know, I remember when I came across it because this has been my experience as uh, as a man and as and as a pastor now for 17 years is, you know, we, when we engage in something, some things, we, we, we sometimes are playing with fire in a way that, that we're not, you know, the take, the taking a, taking a cookie that mom told you not to take from the cookie jar uh, is, is not, the same as 
not as spiritually dangerous potentially as opening up your iPad and going to a pornographic website. Um, well, another yeah. argument I hear frequently is uh, Jesus is is a loving and forgiving God, and uh, he understands the, the, the homosexual, and therefore it's forgiven. But I also recall, I mean, Jesus can also be very, very angry, remember, in the temple. Right. I remember uh, <laughs> one of the pastors here used to have a, a sign over his uh, desk that said uh, that the... When next time somebody asks you what would Jesus do, remember that turning over tables and chasing people with a whips is an option. Right. Well, again, in Dr. Gagnon, the article, you know, what he argues is is that you know the greater the severity of the sin, the greater needs to be the outreach of love. And he says, you know, this is the this is the lesson that we learn from Jesus' outreach to tax collectors and, and sexual sinners. Uh, and he, he says in the article, there's a, there's a tendency in the Church on, on, on both sides of, of the theological aisle, whether you're liberal or conservative, um, to correlate the severity of, of offense with a, lack of, with a lack of love. And so what he, he says, the, the liberal argues that in order to love someone, we have to re- reduce the severity of the offense. Um, the conservatives sometimes maintain that the severity of the offense, uh, we maintain the severity of the offense at the cost of exercising love. So, you know, we, the conservative wants to, to focus on punishing the evildoer and, and sometimes neglects the, the act of love necessary. And, and, and he argues, and I think very convincingly, that that Jesus and St. Paul, and you know, perhaps in particular, teach us both to uphold love and the intensified sexual ethic of Christianity at the same time. It's not an either-or, it's a both-and. Does that make sense? Well, let's unpack it a little further. I don't quite follow it, I will admit. So... I think his is an interesting argument, right, because Jesus spends all this time with tax collectors. This is in the same article where he's talking about same-sex attraction, but Jesus spends a bunch of time with tax collectors, and tax collectors um, end up robbing people of the ability to support their family, uh, you know, to uphold the basic units of of human society, the family. And so... They were abhorred tax collectors by the by the people. I mean, not not only did they rob people of their livelihood, but they, you know, Jewish tax <laughs> Jewish select tax collectors collected money for an occupying pagan government. Uh, and Jesus, but Jesus spent a lot of time with these these guys. And what Dr. Gagnon's argument is uh, that stealing from the poor. And depriving them of the ability to support their families is a really serious thing. And so, and Jesus spends time with these guys because this is a serious sin um, with serious consequences to the soul. But didn't he also tell the uh, tax collectors uh, what you were doing? It 
at being a tax collector per se is is not sinful. What the sin is is when you you start pocketing the money, when you start overtaxing, when you do more than what you're supposed to do. He even excused, I think, uh, collecting taxes for a pagan government. After all, there was the render under right. under Caesar. Yeah, that that wasn't that. You're in, and that's a that's a helpful clarification. It wasn't the tax collecting; it was the extortion and abuse of it. That was that was the issue. You're right, Matthew. I think it's Matthew 22 where Jesus says, "Do they ask him, should I pay taxes to Caesar or not?" Jesus says, "Render to Caesar what is Caesar's, and give to God what is God's." Yeah, pay your tax and worship God, not Caesar. But these, you know, these guys stole from people. They, you know, they 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 took extra. They enriched themselves at the expense of the poor, um, and that was this is a serious thing to God. Yeah, they were, and, and you know, I think um, going forward about uh, about uh, to say the 1500s, I think Luther addressed this uh, when he talked about the value of the vocation. He even mentioned specifically the soldiers, and and recall that uh, uh, and Matthew uh, Jesus also said the same thing to the soldiers, to the Roman soldiers: be the best soldier you can, but don't abuse it. Uh, and I think yep. Luther recognized this as well, that you know, do your, ju- your job, do your vocation to the best of your ability, because that is glorifying God. But don't abuse it. Right. And I, I think that there's the great letter from Luther, it's been a while since I've read it, called, uh, uh, I believe it's called, That a Soldier Too Can Be Saved. That may be the reference that you would that may be the article or the essay that you're referring to. Yeah, I, I've, uh, occasionally I board up for uh, Concord uh, for Concord Matters. <laughs> you know, it's amazing the things that you hear here at the station. <laughs> but uh, yeah, but that's one of the beauties of working at the International Center. Lance, we got to take a short break here. We got a lot more to talk about. And uh, as I said to the audience, if you have any questions, you can email it at. Let's talk at kfuo.org, or you can call in in the St. Louis area, area code 314 821 or toll-free in the lower 48 at 1-800-730-2727. the day which the Lord has made. For the lonely and homebound, for the grieving and dying, and for all those who are afflicted in body, mind, and spirit, especially for Join us for a live broadcast of chapel at the LCMS International Center weekdays at 10 a.m. on KFUO. I'm Gary Duncan, the General Manager of Worldwide KFUO. We promote our various programs. We ask you to listen to your favorite show. We ask you to support our broadcast ministry, and we thank you for that support. But maybe we don't ask you to pray for us as much as we should. Please pray for the staff, management, radio hosts, and volunteers here at Worldwide KFUO. Pray that the message of salvation through Christ is heard clearly by listeners around the world. 
Pray that we continue to reach into those areas that are hostile to the Word of God. Pray that KFUO continues to reach those people desperately needing to hear the good news message. And pray that God continues to bless us financially through the gifts we need to continue our broadcast ministry. Thank you for listening, supporting, and praying for Worldwide KFUO. You truly are appreciated. We are the messenger of good news. AM850 in St. Louis, worldwide at KFUO.org. Heading into Mother's Day weekend, it's fitting to acknowledge the role of mothers in the Hebrew Bible and the New Testament. Including Eve, the first mother, whom the book of Genesis describes as the mother of all the living. Sarah, who laughed when she was told she would have a son in her old age. Her son Isaac and grandson Jacob would become the father of a great nation. Jochebed, who hid her baby Moses for three months and then to save him, placed him in a papyrus basket among the reeds of the Nile. In the opening pages of Luke, cousins Elizabeth and Mary, who, as foretold by angels, would give birth just months apart to John the Baptist and Jesus of Nazareth. Engage with the history and people of the Bible. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington, D.C. Well, welcome back to Let's Talk. The pastor is in. I'm program host Kip Allen. My guest pastor today is Lance O'Donnell. We are to talk. We are talking about the degree of sin, and uh, yeah, the tendency of some people to given to decide that they can ignore parts of the Bible, and I, that is is a is a real problem. I think for a lot of people, uh, even some of us Lutherans. I've, I I know that there's been some dispute within the uh, synod, and well, I mean, let's go back to. Uh, the, the days of Seminex, I mean, my gosh, there were people who were picking and choosing, and they went out and and formed another uh, another denomination. I think the Luther, I think the uh, Missouri Senate came out stronger for that, but yeah. it, it certainly highlights that there. But it, but it sure was brutal for people. Yeah, yeah, it did, and it did draw away people. And you know, interestingly, um, I, I was well, and and drew, I mean drew people away, but also for the people engaged in it, right? When it, you know, when you have a fight within the family, um, and relationships were relationships were severed, uh, you know, it, it, it impacted the church. It impacted people's faith and confidence in the church. It, it, it was a and I didn't right. That was before my time, but what a brutal brutal time for the church. Yeah, I was a uh, young man when that happened, and I remember just being uh, appalled at it and uh, trying to wrestle in my own mind which side I should come down on. So, yeah, I, I, you know, I can, I can, I can only imagine. I mean, I think you know, as as Paul says, I think it's what First, first Corinthians uh, eleven. We had differences and different. Uh, God allows them to happen so that you are and the right may be shown, but uh, that doesn't make it any easier. No, it doesn't. And that's that's part of the thing that I, I think a lot of people overlook, is that being a Christian is not easy. It's very, very difficult. Uh, and a lot of these... 
<laughs> you noticed. <Amen. laughs> but but a lot of these uh, other other denominations, this is what they're trying to do. Is they're trying to make it easy to worship. It's easy to be a member of this church. Easy to believe this. But it's not. No, it's not. And you know what a it is. A, it is a missionary challenge. Um, um, the, you know, and I, I don't want to. Um, I, I don't want to absolutely, you know, bludgeon the the same sex stuff because you know we are, you know, our culture is a, is a wash in pornography, you know, and man, is that dangerous? I've just seen it so many ways as a pastor, you know, especially with cell phones and kids, uh, you know, that, as I understand in the research that I've done, you know, access to access to pornography uh, excites the same type of chemicals in the brain as heroin does, the same sort of addictive behavior. It is absolutely insidious. I mean, you know, if what you, I, I, I had to tell parents on a number of occasions, you know, if you watch, if I don't know if you're a sports fan or not, Kip, but you know, you watch you watch any kind of sports programming, and that, that you know, the sports demographics, for I mean, depends on the sport, but they tend to be towards what 18 to 35 year old men. You know how many advertisements you see for now for um, <laughs> the drugs that allow allow men to maintain their <laughs> sexual energy. Um, you know, and you think, why in the, you know, people, why in the world, in, when, you, when you have an advertising demographic of 18 to 35-year-olds, do we see all this advertising for men who can't <laughs> keep their business, to, you know, together? Well, it's, it's in part because a lot of young men, starting when they're teenagers and even before, their brains get addicted to sex that is not real. And so when they meet a real woman who they want, they can't do it. And so they have to get medical help. A lot, a lot of it, you know, a lot of the reason we see all these advertisements for this stuff is because boys get addicted to porn. And it warps, it literally warps their brain. Interesting. So they have to reboot. Well, we got they a, have to uh, cut themselves off. We've got a caller of the line, Cheryl from Indianapolis, uh, but I believe she wants sure. to discuss. Cheryl, is it the anatomy of explosion? Oh, um, yeah. You were talking about uh, the problems we've had in the church, and um, I was a student at Concordia Teachers College, nineteen sixty-seven to seventy-one. So this was right before this all happened, but I didn't find out about it till much later, and. I had a reference that uh, at home here that my husband had called Anatomy of an Explosion. It's by Kurt Marquardt, and he analyzes what happened in the church uh, from a theological standpoint. Oh, that's very a, good. Yep. That sounds like it's worth reading. Have you have you read it, uh, Lance? I have. It's been a while, and Kurt Marquardt is one of my favorite human beings that ever walked the planet. Um, he died a few years ago from Lou Gehrig's disease. Oh. Well, Cheryl, I want to thank you for bringing that up. That's definitely going to go on my reading list now. Yeah, no, for, then, for those of you, yeah, sorry, Cheryl, go ahead. I, I had a, another comment. You were talking about 
uh, sins against the body, uh, the, the uh, sexual immorality, and uh, the gospel uh, in relation to that. And um, in uh, 1 Corinthians 6, there, uh, uh, St. Paul is talking a lot about that to the Corinthians, and he uh, ends by saying, um, uh, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price to glorify God in your body. That's the gospel message. Yep, it, it, it indeed is. Yeah. I'll have to remember that the next time I drink too much beer. (laughs) Uh, You were bought with a prize. (laughs) That's right. For for all of our sexual sins, we are bought with a prize. Christ had to die for that, and that's the there's a there's a litany of of for lack of a better word aberrant sexual practice that uh, that Paul lists as this is this is severe. I do, you know, do you not, do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, not that is, the literal Greek word is pornoi, pornoi. Ah, interesting, right? I didn't know that. It is, but, yeah. Well, let's discuss pornography a little bit. Um, sure. I have heard, as I'm sure you have, people say, well, you know, it's harmless, it's a, it's, nobody's getting hurt by it, uh, the people who are in the pornographic movie, pornographic business are doing it voluntarily, nobody forces you to watch, nobody gets hurt, I've heard that argument a lot. It's absolutely, that's absolutely baloney. Uh, the people involved in that are often, you have uh, significant drug use, um, alcohol abuse, depression, suicide, uh, that, that you know, to say that that doesn't harm anybody is just a flat-out, bald-faced lie, and it's satanic. Well, what does it? You mentioned earlier that there is a uh, almost an effect. There, you didn't say almost. You said there is an effect on the brain, the same as a, as a drug, same as heroin, at least for uh, well, I guess maybe for men more than women. Although I know some women watch porn too. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, I, I don't have the research in front of me. A couple of years a couple of years ago, I did a, I taught a class in my congregations uh, that I entitled "Parenting Digital Natives," and we drew on some brain research. And I can't, you know, you'd have to uh, you'd have to do some some internet research because I, I don't have it at my fingertips. But uh, it was stunning to me the impact of pornography on the on the brain's chemistry that it. Uh, it released similar uh, chemicals that uh, certain drugs do, and was highly addictive. The research is the research is pretty clear, as, as I recall. Huh. Well, what about the argument that um, pornography doesn't harm society? Well, I mean, think about you know, people who are involved. You know, people who are involved in the industry itself mm-hmm. tend to be more. You know, you, You've got um, alcohol abuse, drug abuse, sexually transmitted diseases. Yeah, that's a biggie. Um, that doesn't, you know, none of that harms society. Um, you know, break. You know, you you can't maintain a relationship. Uh, you know, what what about all the massive amounts of money that we're spending for sexual enhancement drugs? <laughs> Because so many men have have issues, uh, does that not 
does that not harm the family? Uh, you get, I mean, I, you know, I see it all the time. So, you know, you, you can't, your, your, your brain is so addicted to a certain type of sex that women actually don't enjoy. And so you can't actually have a satisfying sexual relationship with your wife. Uh, that's not a problem for human society. Uh, I just, you know, that kind of argument uh, makes me want to hurl. Well, what would you say to the person who says, you know, I don't watch pornography. It doesn't concern me. Why should I be uh, bothered by it? Well, uh, good. Don't watch it. <laughs> and, uh, um, but uh, how how yeah. how would you answer? How is he, how is this person being harmed by it? Because he's saying, you know, I I, I don't watch porn. It has no effect well, on me. Other people are. You know, I would say. So does your does your son or your does your is your daughter dating a, a young man who watches pornography? Because if you think that's not going in, to in, in 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 interfere with that relationship or that marriage, uh, then you're deluding yourself. Because it, it absolutely does. Pornography, pornography is addictive in, in a very similar way to heroin. And if you think that's not going to impact uh, somebody else, um, you know, we're, we're, deluding, we're deluding ourselves. It absolutely does. Um, it, it's why I, would, I, I, tell, uh, I tell parents, you know, for the love of God, and I mean it, keep... A, uh, Internet-connected internet smartphone away from your child for as long as humanly possible. Because so uh, uh, those, those devices, access to the Internet without safeguards, you, you might as well just walk your kid into a strip joint. In the, uh... doesn't, that sound, doesn't that sound awful? But that's what, you know, if you, if you hand uh, a 10, 11, 12, 13-year-old child a, a, a smartphone with data connection and no restrictions on what they can watch or do with it. Um, all somebody has to do is ask a question that they don't know, and you basically walked that child into a strip club, and even worse, into a porn parlor. Well, look and, at uh, look at the frequency that, that we've been hearing about uh, about they call it sexting. Uh, oh, good gravy. Yeah, yeah with with with, it's with a, children. The plague. Yeah, it's a it's a plague. And, yeah. I mean, there are huge implications to that. I mean, uh, your girlfriend at age fifteen, you, you talk her into giving you a, a nude picture, and then you share it with your friends. That's a felony. <laughs> no, yeah, no, no doubt. I mean, I right, I'm, la I'm laughing and crying at the same time. You know, it's. The, these, the, these devices are both right, magnificent, can be magnificent helps in terms of communication and access to information, but this is how the devil works. He turns something that is um, that, that can be really helpful, and all of a sudden, you know, what it, it becomes really awful. I mean, isn't, isn't it, you know, I don't know the exact figures, but isn't porn the biggest business on the Internet? I believe it is. I believe it is. You know, I mean, so you know, any parents out there that I would listen to, that, that is listening, I, I, you you absolutely you absolutely need to have a kind of leash on that device that your child uses. Um, you need you need some kind of parental control. You need to you need to keep up with what they're looking at. Uh, 
It is looking looking at online active online porn is not the same as you know my generation. I mean, I'm about to be fifty. Uh, you know, when you know some of our you know fathers or somebody had you know some kind of girly magazine. That is, it is. It's not interactive. The, <laughs> the online, right? It's not right. The online, the online porn stuff. You see people moving and it right it, 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 it's not a, in three dimensions but it's well unless you're virtual reality and now you can get that is going to be uber addictive yeah, so the online porn is, is is really 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 addictive and dangerous and parents need to do whatever they can to keep it out of their children oh i remember um uh, my freshman year in college one of the first things i did was i bought a playboy for the first time <laughs> Sure. <laughs> I had uh, the September of 1966 up in the <laughs> up the wall of my sure. dorm. Right. You know, which was which was bad enough. I mean, I found one of those in my, you know, hidden deep in the recesses of a bathroom closet in my house when I was a kid. Um, you know, that's because what it, what it for, right? What it forces. You know, I'll I'll speak to you know, men, right? But it, what it forces a young man to do, right, is, is fantasize sexually about somebody who is not his wife. And, and then what, that, what, ends up, what ends up happening often is the man pleasures himself, right? And so sex becomes thought of as primarily as a way to pleasure myself. And so you go into sexual relationship eventually with a woman, and the purpose of that relationship becomes, well, it's about doing whatever I need to do to get myself pleasure. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is not what God's designed for sex is, a, you know, is not about pleasuring yourself. It's about service and, and self-sacrifice for one another. The sex, sex is designed as an expression of love, um, not as simply pleasure-seeking for oneself. It's warped to think of it that way. Well, I suspect that most men uh, do have these fantasies. Heck, I know I do. I'll be every every, every man every man that I know that has that does not have the gift of celibacy has that issue. <laughs> and I suspect most I suspect a lot of women do as well. But um, I agree. But how <laughs> is is this one of the things that we need to confess? Is this one of these things that we need to be aware of when we go for absolution? Uh, Absolutely. It's a really, it's a really good point. Well, as we were talking earlier, you know, it, whether you act out on it or not, I mean, it, it's it it is a, a sinful attitude. You know, we took we talked earlier last in the last half hour about uh, homosexuality. Uh, even if the person does not act on those impulses, the impulses are still there, and they still need to confess them. Is that correct? Yeah, the, the, what the the, in, the inclination to sin is itself sinful. I think the, the big theological word is concupiscence. There's your theological word for the day. Um, but yeah, the inclination to sin itself is sinful. Um, well, one of the... some, there's some nuance to how it gets worse in, in James chapter one, for example. But um, but you know, the inclination to sin itself is. Well, one of the problems that we have um, 
and maybe this is maybe this is part of the devil's plan is that so much of sin is fun is pleasurable i've i've often yeah, thought that you know to be. yeah evil has to be attractive otherwise it would have no effect well this 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 and so many other things you know this is the devil warps what is good and turns it in upon itself yeah um yeah, it's interesting as a right, and I will, as a as a as a young, as a young man who engaged in behavior outside of marriage that he should not have. Um, I look back, and I see that activity as you know. The, I remember as a little boy, as a boy when I when I stole something from a store, you know, from my dad's buddies. Uh, drugstore that stole something and there was this thrill of getting away with something. Yeah, I believe that part of the thrill of, of sexual relationships outside of marriage is I think we know deep down that these are intended to be, the sex is intended to be between a man and a woman in the marital relationship, and when we when we engage in it outside, the part of the thrill is that we're getting away with something that we know we shouldn't be doing. That's Not an, everybody feels that way, but I think deep down that's part of it. That's an interesting aspect. I, I have to admit, I never thought of it in quite those terms. Uh, it's it, it, it's analogous to the thrill of stealing something, and and in some respects, in some respects, that's what Kip is. That's what it is, right? If you Right? If, if, you're, if you're a young man and you meet this woman in a bar or you, or, you, know, you, you catch her, you find her on Tinder or one of these, or one of these other dating apps, right? um, you're not, you know, you'll tell her, you know, the guy will tell her whatever he wants to try and get her in bed. But he's not really interested in her. He just wants to get his sexual release. So, but often, often... The, the woman is a little bit more interested in a potential tomorrow than the guy is. And so she ends up more damaged. And you know what that does to the guy who eventually meets her that really loves her, right? There's some, there's been some emotional toll from being used in the past. So when, when you just have, when a man, when a young man just has sex with a woman and he's not really interested in her, he's actually really I was her. I was and, reading an article today. Yeah, I was reading an article today, uh, and it was about of all things the one night stand and the difference of its effect on men and women. And it was exactly what you were just saying: is that you know the, the man will go into it, and it's a thing for pleasure, and okay, hey, that's fun. Don't worry about it. I'll talk. Maybe I'll call you later. Where the woman is not constitutionally able to do that. You know, that she's going to say, why didn't he call me? Oh, my God, what have I done? And maybe there's I'm... A brain, there's a brain chemistry. If, if, you want to read, if you want to read something really frightening, I think it's three or four years old now, but look up on the Internet. There's an article in Vanity Fair magazine called Tinder and the Dating Apocalypse. Tinder is the, is the, is the hookup app that people use with their cell phones. But the article, it's in Vanity, I believe it's Vanity Fair. It's 
called Tinder in the Dating Apocalypse. And you, you'll re, you know, for any of us who really care about this stuff, or um, it, it describes what you're talking about, you know, that, it, that sex is so separated. They are. And I think this is something, again, that modern society is tending to overlook, is that men and women have some very, very significant differences uh, in the brain structure, in in the hormonal balance of the body. We don't think the same way. We we can't. And, and And it's worth noting, and it's worth noting, for a comment that you made earlier, that the the Christian sexual ethic has always been countercultural. I mean, remember in, in Corinth, where Cheryl mentioned 1 Corinthians 6 earlier, you know, in Corinth, it was believed by Corinthian pagans that sexual encounter with a temple prostitute brought you communion with God, right? That's what the Corinthian Christians were trying to come out of, right? Their culture, their, their culture held this belief that you gained, you had communion with God by using people sexually, right? And so in along, in along comes Jesus Christ and said, who says that God's design for the sexual release is to be only between a man and a woman in a relationship before God and others that it is a marriage. And that is uh, an absolutely, utterly radical difference. And furthermore, that that sexual relationship between this man and woman exists for their mutual, for their mutual service, not for your own personal pleasure. That is a radical, the, the Christian sexual ethic has always, has always been uh, radically different from the world, wherever Christ has gone. Again, that's something I hadn't... Boy, I learned more from these programs. <laughs> I got to tell you, Lance. That, that's something I really hadn't thought of. Yeah, I had no idea we were going to end up in this conversation when we started today. <laughs> <laughs> that's what the front porch is about. You can never right. tell where it's going to go. <laughs> is it, but, you know, it, it is a remarkable... Right? And, and this was a revelation to me, honestly. Right? I, I didn't grow... You know, we've talked before... I didn't grow up in a, you know, a practicing Christian home. And I, you know, I was basically taught that you know, we have, you know, my, you know, I suppose they knew better, but they'd come to accept, my parents had come to accept the, you know, overall cultural thing that, you know, you were sexual beings and, and we, you have to, you know, we have to express that. And so, you know, Lance, you got to learn how to do that safely um what i what i what i what i discovered is it just led me in participating in that culture just led me into despair um and it, it, it warped right when you when you use somebody right, just for your own pleasure um it, it warps your soul and um it does you know, it, it, it's if you really take serious stock of it, you it dehumanizes you. You, you know, can it makes you less less than you were designed to be. You can kill your own conscience. 
you, we do, right? And you get, and so, and then, you know, and the part of the tragedy is, you know, you get, you get into that activity and, you know, this happens with Christian, Christian kids, right? You, you get, you get involved in that and you know better, but you start to get involved in it. And then you start to think, well, I'm just a, I'm just a terrible person. And then, you know, and then you dig yourself deeper. It's, it's, it is like unto drug addiction. Uh, and, right, it, it is like unto drug addiction, and you know. So I've, I've seen it so often with, you know, with Christian with Christian kids who you know who are taught a certain way, right? They they know God's will, and yet we get involved in this stuff. And once we get involved, and then you know, then it's, wow, I'm just a horrible person, and then you know, it becomes like in a, I'm just a bad person, and I, I'm going to do this, and. Mm. This is the importance of, um, and what you do in those circumstances then is you, you know, typically you end up, you say, I, I'm not going to go to church. I separate myself from hearing the word, right? I don't want to be, I don't want to be confronted with the truth or every time I hear about this, this or that, you know, it, it just reminds it, it, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to be accountable to God. I don't want to hear this. I don't, right? I, because then. You know, you just, you tend to run away, right? You remember your little kid, you did something wrong. You know, our tendency is to run away hide, and hide. right? Right? I mean, that's Adam and Eve from the beginning. But, you know, it doesn't matter yeah. whether it was 6,000 years ago or, or yesterday or today when, when well, we did wrong. Unfortunately, yeah. Lance, we've just run out of time, but I'm up against a hard break. This has been a fascinating discussion. I want to thank the people for joining us. This has been a fascinating program, as it always is. I learn more things. You teach me more things. Wow. Let's talk. The pastor is in. listening to The Pastor Is In, a weekly chance to chat with a pastor. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting The Pastor Is In on Worldwide KFUO.